Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Richen. I have my two feathered co-hosts, Jimmy and Stevie, are with me tonight. And um, big news last week in the adventure race world with the split of Godzone and the Adventure Race World series. We will be having some conversations about that later. Both Warren and Craig are going to come on and talk about it. Don't really care that much why or what the big deal is about them splitting. I'm more interested in knowing um, what's going to happen now. My guess is they both have good reasons for moving ahead the way they are, and I'm, for one, am excited to uh, see what they are. So, um, and I know Warren said once he recovers, we'll get him, and Craig is in uh, Paraguay for the World Series race, so hopefully when he gets back. And he's got some T's dotted and I's crossed. He said add some things that they can't quite talk about yet, so that'll be coming up. However, this week we have uh, Richard Presser from Quest AR. Everybody was really excited about their uh, bushwhacking expedition, so we talked about that a lot and other things. And also um, Mark Harris from Adventure Enablers i.e. they used to be Rev3. A little bit of an update about uh, World Championships and he has a few things to say about the split. Nothing earth-shattering but uh, an interesting take on it nonetheless. I think that's everything. Um, For those of you who like my alter ego life, there'll be some monster truck racing videos up this week, later this week, you can find. Um, had a really good time, met a couple of some cool drivers. I always like that because maybe I get to go shoot some more monster racing, monster truck racing. It's not adventure racing, but it's still kind of fun. I enjoy the uh, spectacle of the whole thing. So, so anyway, a little bit of a two parter with Mark uh, Harris first. Uh, it's like 10 15 minutes, and then we'll get in. And talk to Richard about the God Zone. So that's it. Oh, if you're <laughs> if you're hearing this this week, and you're in Western South Dakota, which I'm not sure anybody local actually listens to it, and Paulette is doing a presentation at the Doll as part of their Mountain Culture um, Festival, which includes a. Uh, um, Banff coming and a photo contest, but anyway, she's doing a presentation on the Trans Pyrenees run that she did last year. She filmed herself over the 16 days and I cut it together. And it's a pretty cool little film. She's going to do a little question and answer and stuff like that. So, Which reminds me also, kind of um, had a couple of projects where people have shot stuff and then I'm editing for them. So um, if you uh, do a race, shoot a lot of video, um, we should talk. Maybe I can work with you. 
Um, or if you're planning on going to a race and want to shoot something, talk to me because I got some ideas um, of uh, how you should do it. How, you know, um, mostly involves practicing doing it um, and getting yourself in the shot. So lots of selfies, talking. Nobody really wants to look at just mountains and scenery as pretty as it'll be. I will uh, post a link to Paulette's film in this week's show notes so you can get a good idea of what she did. So That's enough for now. So go fast, take chances, and uh, be nice. Thanks for listening. I hear you. Oh, wow. Sometimes when people call me, it uh, I never know what's going to happen. <laughs> As long as you push the record button, Randy, this time. It is. I, th- I, I think I figured out what happened last time, but I don't know how. So. All right. All right. They have a button that lets you turn off saving your recording in the program I use. It's what? The delete <laughs> button? Is no, the button it, just, it just turns off oh. where you save it. It's like, why would you start a um, voice recording and not save it? <laughs> right, right. So. Um, oh, anything exciting happened yesterday? Well, <laughs> no, not much. No. I, I, no it's crazy because it's, it's, it's crazy because it just makes our day busy when stuff like that happens because we wake up and then poor Margot, she's, she's just then has to monitor social media and stuff yeah. like that. And there's lots of speculation and when things like that happen and no one really has an answer about stuff. And then so. Then we're all of a sudden tracking threads all over the place, yeah. trying to do somewhat damage control. I get well, it wasn't really damage control or anything like that, but um, yeah, it makes it made for a busy day for us yesterday. Yeah, well, I will say, um, everything I saw, every mention of you was kudos for adventure yeah. enablers. So, um, yeah. if there was a silver lining, I guess that was that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, our, our thing was because we didn't. So we, we noticed, obviously, people noticed there was some lack of branding at God's own. And, you know, there's we are, we're in a contract, and there's some very specific guidelines mm-hmm. in the contract with the World Series, which is good because it's, it's a certain standard. And so as we start looking at things, we're like, well, there's some stuff missing. And, um, you know, we had some emails back and forth with Craig. And we, we, don't, really, we don't really want to get involved yeah. in whatever what's going on with them. So ultimately, we've just kind of... We went back and forth with Tiki a little bit because they crossed the finish line and we reached out to them and said, congratulations, you know, you know, we're looking forward to seeing you. We'll pay for your entry. And then we kind of went back and forth on that a little bit. And then we kind of settled it out by saying, we'll, we'll, we'll consider ourselves Adventure Enablers the sponsor for Tiki to come to uh, Worlds. And then that just kind of, that excludes any other party with whatever may happen or yeah. is happening. So, yeah. Uh, and we wanted to do right by those guys, you know, so. and uh, Yaland as well. We reached out to them already and they have, they of course have a spot uh, not paid. And then actually, because those top two teams were uh, New Zealand teams, the third spot that we usually hold for um, international teams, that's actually opened back up on our wait list. So um, that's good. So um, that's kind of where we are with, with what went on yesterday with that stuff. Yeah. So in, I've already, I've reached out to Warren and Craig, and they're going to be on shortly, so we'll find that. And (laughs) I'm I'm talking to Tom from Tiki in about an hour. (laughs) Yeah, and those guys are great. You know, we we, of course, we followed God's Own. It was a great race. Um, 
And those guys really pushed it. They had a really good story. They yeah. knew that they were going to go out fast and try and stay ahead of Yeland because they, they were kind of the guys to beat. And then they just stayed ahead of them. And um, they had an incredible race. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's always you watch these World Series races and there's just such a huge split between the winners and the middle of the pack and the back of the pack. It was mm-hmm. great to watch. It was good coverage. And, we, we, you know, we enjoyed following the race. So um, those those guys certainly have, have earned the spot. Yeah, yeah. It's like like Butch Cassidy said, who are those guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Okay, so you had a few so – from the, the bulletin, you had three spots open up on the wait list. So is it four now or – yeah, and so, you know, the wait list has really been really tough for us because, well, we were going to speak to you pretty much after we opened it up, and yeah. we opened it up, and we had, of course, uh, we had our initial spots open up, and they, were, they got taken, you know, mainly by American teams, which we, you know, it was it was, it was was an open open call. We had no way to control it, and that's really what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, we had a VIP entry list that was obviously extensive for people to get in who had either done the Cowboy Tough before or who was – people who had done any World Series race last year. And we hadn't had a whole lot of people reach out to us on the international side to be actually added to that VIP list. So it was already kind of skewed um, as far as the invites went out um, to get in on that early registration. But um, it was our kind of plan to to release that and see how it went. And we knew we had some other spots uh, opening up. And then we've basically been able to cherry-pick people off the wait list to get really what we consider... um, a pretty impressive roster of teams who are coming, and so we're, we're continuing to do that. We we have to. I mean, we have limited spots right, yeah. right now. Uh, our cap it is around 60, 68 teams, and that's really permitting logistics. Um, you know, we've just finalized bus transportation from Casper uh, to where the race started, and there's there's only so many people we can transport. It's you know, it's yeah. about a four four and a half five hour trip that we have mm-hmm. to take. Uh, there's only so many buses that we can actually uh, get to, to move people that distance and where we want them to go. So even even getting people where we want to start, let alone the logistics when we start the race and permitting and where people are letting us go and those types of things, we we have to have kind of a hard cutoff. And that that's around 68 teams. And then we already have this 20 teams or it's still about 20, 18 spots that we have to keep for qualifiers. We know that they're not all going to be taken. So, but at the same time, it's this fine balance between air quotes overselling the race and mm-hmm. and trying to feel out and guess how many people are going to take these spots that we have to have reserved. So, um, luckily, you know, we have another two races coming up uh, in the, this next month. Um, they're almost back to back. That let let us know if people are coming from that. It's going to free up some more spots. Um, so I think probably over the next uh, three to four weeks, we'll probably be able to open up, hopefully, if we're looking at it, maybe another 10 spots. That's what we're looking at. Um, and we have uh, – the wait list is, is deep. I mean, I think we've got 35, 36 teams sitting on the wait list right now. Um, you know, we do have an opportunity. where There's not a lot of people have bitten on. We've got our, our epic race. It's coming up in April. I think we only have two teams right now on the four-person co-ed side that would qualify basically for a spot and um, uh, $1,500 credit towards that. So certainly teams in the U.S. who are really chomping at the bit to get a spot, um, they should probably sign up for that race because yeah. there's, uh, there's, there's a good chance that uh, someone's 
you could win it if you're a pretty good team if you come out and race that. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough. And we, we're, we're hit up constantly every day by teams and everyone has a great story and we really wish we could have everyone uh, join us out there. And, and like we've said in our press releases, we're really trying to find a really good balance between an international mix. I mean, that was one of our things that we promised when we went into Wyoming that we would give, um, you know, the state the exposure on the international scene. Um, we also want to make sure that we have some, you know, interest stories there. We want to make sure that people who are coming have a good social reach um, or a good story behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and amazingly enough, uh, you know, we've got 20, 30 teams who really kind of match that criteria on the list. So it's, it, is, it is hard for us to do that. And we want to let all the teams know who are sitting on the waiting list that, you know, we do sit down and consider pretty carefully who we're, who we're pulling on, and it's it's hard for us not to have be able to put everyone on there. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's really kind of where we are on the list. It's 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 tricky, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> yeah, glad I'm not you and right now. <laughs> so, um, any anything on the fun part, like going to Wyoming and exploring, or when you when you yeah, think you're going to head so, out there. Um, yeah, our permitting's going going pretty well. Um, we were, you know, going into the new year, there were some permits we couldn't we couldn't actually even apply for until uh, the first of the year because of certain certain restrictions that they people some of the agency put around their permitting, and so they they were in, and that's always a nervous moment, making sure that they get through. Um, they're by no means yet approved, and we're working with the different agencies on some different things, but now. We're, we're past the first hurdle, and we've got we're starting getting down to the weeds on some of the route areas, and we are having to adjust some stuff because of um, either environmental concerns or land issues and those types of things. Um, we are do, we've still got some permitting hurdles on day one that we're trying to we're trying to work through, but uh, once again, we love working with everyone in Wyoming. They're super super supportive. Uh, every, everywhere that we're going along the route, we've kind of reached out to people. Um, to see, you know, what assistance they can give us, and everyone really wants to bend over backwards. So, I th- I think this year is going to be a great year uh, when it kicks off um, because it, it covers a huge. It, I mean, it's, it's a really long route that covers a, a lot of area and mm-hmm. goes through quite a different, a few different areas. That we're going to see a lot of support from the local communities, and they're going to know what's going on, which is great. Yeah, I don't know if you have an answer for this, but do you know if like people in Wyoming are know about the race yet or starting to get excited other than, you know, obviously the, you know, the agencies, but like, does the general public know that the world championships are coming? Um, I'm not sure the general public, I mean, I think, I mean, we reach out to different also parts of different local communities mm-hmm. and those people who we spoke to and are super excited. And I know they're starting to spread the word, um, you know, I'm almost getting to the point where I'm a little concerned that the route's going to get out. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> no longer should go and dig too deep. So yeah. we, have, we have to kind of rein that in a little bit because that's that becomes a problem too, right? Yeah. You, you start out. You, so it's a real fine balance for us. And it always is that you go in and you want to help promote tourism and promote these different areas. And then you turn around at the last minute and say, well, you can't actually do that for, <laughs> until the race is going on. So yeah. it's, it's very tough. It's a really tough dynamic on the adventure race side to, to to do that it's not like coming in with a you know a marathon or a big triathlon and you can promote where it is and you can promote the location and get all this all that kind of going on it's it's you can only kind of do that with the 
really the, the home base location. So uh, the people in Casper are excited about it. Um, and mm. all the other agencies that we work with are pretty pretty excited. And mm. we, we all have uh, – we go into our big final scout in um, June. Early June we'll be out there, and we actually will pre-run all, pretty much all the course stuff that we've we'll, – we'll either drive it, bike it, paddle it. We'll, we'll do it all. Yeah. That, which which is, it's going to be fun. Yeah. But you're not saying that driving is going to be part of the race. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So some of the stuff I don't want to ride my bike on. I'll, I'll drive it. And we actually we just actually um, got off the phone. Um, Greg got off the phone with some of our sponsors who were working out there today, and they were saying they just had another massive dumping of snow. I mean they ex- they're expecting still deep drifts in June. You mm. say June? Yeah. Early early June. Yeah. So that's going to affect some maybe some of our river sections. Um, Maybe for the, for the better or the worse. That's something. It's too much water sometimes not good, and then too little water is not good either. So yeah. that's a fine balance. But I'm guessing if they've had that much snow right now, people uh, parts of the route will still have um, the white stuff on the ground when our teams are going through there, even in August. Yeah. Oh, make it exciting, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's all I have for now. Plus. Um, the episode that this is going with is Quest AR talking about their trek through over the Cecil Mountain. So we better oh, sh- we well, better shut up because I think people want to listen to it. it yeah, quite sure, honestly, sure. I had like a dozen people like, "Are you going to get get them on the podcast? We want to hear about it." So yeah, well, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So okay, cool. Well, let's uh, we'll chat in a month or so. Yeah. And see what's happening. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Randy. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. So you probably, everybody probably thinks that I forgot that we're giving away another copy of Mark Latanzi's Quigley Lines book. Uh, spoiler alert, I did, but we're adding it in here. So I just heard from a very good authority that it's a really good book. And she said, you better get me one. So we're not going to let her win the contest. So... Um, Mark, I'll be ordering a book from you. So, this week's question, I think I'll make it all about me. And if you know the answer, reply on my Facebook page. That way everybody will be on the same page. Ha! And uh, I'll know it. But what year and when did I win my world championship? Simple. Um, Okay. Now I didn't forget, so um, here's uh, Richard and uh, talking about Team Quest. Bye. All right, I'm going to turn the turn the uh, video off, though. Yeah, yeah. Nice little parrot, though. Yeah, there my my co-host Jimmy's on the shoulder, Stevie's on my lap, nice. and the chili dog is at my feet. So, oh, and I think Paulette's going to come in and do some work in a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah. Always nice uh, to have them on board. Yeah, they're every once in a while the co-host, and, and Jimmy's really kind of fired up tonight, so it should be fun. But <laughs> yeah, no, th- this is making a big difference. So okay, yeah, perfect. Uh, where to start? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, okay, let's start here. Let's start with the controversy first. <laughs> yeah. Is anybody is anybody even talking about it there about the split? 
Um, you know, I read about it on, uh, you know, the on Sleep Monsters, and that was the first I heard about it. But honestly, like while we were out on the race, we didn't hear a single thing about the issue. Uh, kind of only heard about it when we got done, and it wasn't even kind of like from anyone around the race. So, uh, you know, yesterday we were hanging out at the finish line for a while, and uh, didn't really hear any any of you know the other racers or organizers kind of discussing it so you know i'm sure they probably are and you know we kind of you know had a bit of a discussion amongst our team like you know i wonder you know what happened but yeah i mean i wouldn't say that you know it's you know all people are talking about or anything so yeah 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 definitely quite the quite the question questionable you know thing though that happened i'm not too sure the the backstory on it though well, yeah, nobody is. You know, I'll be talking with Warren and and Craig, but yeah, I, I put a post out a video, and it's, it's, I think really it's kind of a no big deal thing. You know, really, World Series doesn't need God's own. God's own doesn't need World Series. They're they're both will stand alone and probably grow. So yeah, I, I think the only thing was the timing. Why you know exactly why announce it. Well, yeah. So. Yeah, that that's but. kind of what raises like just by doing it in that manner seems to be like the most questionable thing rather than you know just kind of a okay you know uh, yeah not not springing it on someone seems to be the better way to do it but yeah and yeah it's, yeah weird timing that's for sure yeah but hey it gave all the dot watchers something to do now that the race is over yeah <laughs> maybe that was the point. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now that now that everyone is not distracted by constantly refreshing the web page, it's uh, yeah, a little bit something different. It, exactly. So yeah. Um, all right. I should say congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And race that definitely a, went a lot better than uh than we expected. So yeah, we were pretty uh yeah. pretty pumped to get a uh, top ten with it. Yeah, and we'll don't worry, we'll cover it all. But how many people have you heard from? Um, heard from uh, other racers or well just people okay let me tell you this I had like a dozen people like you get you got to get those guys on the podcast right away oh really yeah yeah Yeah. that's pretty exciting yeah Yeah, I you know most of um, what we you know kind of heard about uh, when we came into the last TA uh, TA 9 was about the Cecil Peak circumnavigation, um, which was, you know, kind of the one of our focal points of the race, uh, good decision, bad decision time. But, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of that's what we heard a lot about, uh, that everyone was watching our tracker during that. And we didn't, you know, while we were in the thick of it, we didn't realize it was that big of a, you know, big of a thing. But, um, yeah, when we got to TA9 and, you know, all the race staff and, um you know, Marty, my girlfriend, was there, and everyone was just, like, uh, saying, you know, that uh, everyone was talking about that, being the first people to circumnavigate the uh, Cecil Peak. So that was uh, yeah. pretty interesting to hear about that. Um, and, yeah, it was kind of what most of the, uh, the post-race congratulatory uh, items were about, were asking about how that was and, you know, whether we think how much time we saved and, you know, when, when really I think we lost time on it, but... Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting to uh yeah kind of come out of it when we don't really know anything and to hear what everyone else is going to been uh, talking about it with it was a, a pretty funny contrast. 
Yeah, it was. I think a couple of people said you should get a time bonus just for doing it. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, yeah. it was. I, I guess kind of the you know the story behind it, getting right to the uh, into the thick of it. Um, we had done a mission, um, uh, myself and, and another Godzone team, uh, a couple months ago up and over Cecil Peak, and uh, uh-huh. we'd taken a water taxi back to Queenstown. And it almost looked like there was an old road grade cut into, you know, the side of it. And didn't really think much of it then, but took a picture. And, you know, Friday night before the race when we were looking at the, uh, you know, the map and, you know, obviously the the standard route jumped out at us. But then we got thinking, I was like, you know, what about going around Cecil Peak? Like, it's shorter. I have this picture right here from this, you know, this mission that I did. Uh, where it looks like there's a road grade, man, like, I bet that would go. And, you know, we were like, all right, well, let's keep it in our back pocket and, you know, make the, we don't have to make the decision now for it, you know, on which route. And um, then the morning of the second day, we're across the lake from it, and we look over right at dawn, and we see four headlamps going around Cecil Peak. And, you know, what we mm. didn't know is that those four headlamps were swordfish and they later turned around going around Cecil <laughs> Peak. But we saw four headlamps going around Cecil Peak and we were like, man, look at that. You know, like the top teams are choosing to go that way. Like the route goes, the route goes, you know, and that just really kind of like boosted our, you know, spirits about maybe trying to give this a try. Um, and, you know, but still didn't make a call. And we, we definitely didn't want to hit it at night, but we figured if it was during the day, you know, maybe it maybe it'd be worth it. And, you know, we get to the decision point, and we talked it over as a team, made sure that it was unanimous. Um, and everyone was kind of just like, yeah, you know, let's let's go for it. And, uh, yeah, high spirits going into it. You know, we, we, we took the gamble. We put our cards down, and we're going to see how they played out. And... Yeah, it was the most horrendous bushwhack of our <laughs> lives. Like, I think every single one of us were just, uh, yeah, had no idea what we were getting ourselves into going after it. I mean, it was walls of Mataguri that we had to just, like, ram our bikes through. And I, I can't believe we didn't pop a single tire um, on that entire time. And just our arms and legs just look like rabid cats have gone after them, uh, you know, for hours. There's so many cuts and scratches and stuff. And But I, I don't know. There was, yeah, some times where it was absolutely like, we're going to have to turn around. We're going to have to turn around. But, yeah, eventually found a way through. So it was, yeah. But with that, after that, like, we were totally out of race mode. Like, we figured <laughs> we lost three to four hours on that leg no. uh, by going that route. Um, and so, you know, after we got back on the road and we were trying to work our way into TA8, we pretty much figured the race was over. You know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, we were still on, you know, full course and stuff, but figured we'd lost, you know, a good 10 spots. And after that, it was like, all right, you know, we'll just go out to finish, but not really in too much of a rush anymore. But, yeah, it was – that's why it was such a surprise to then be in that mentality and then learn that, well, we actually only dropped five spots, and actually we maybe only lost maybe an hour or two by going that route instead of four hours. So wow. suddenly, like, you know, on the second-to-last leg, um, uh, stage nine, the trek, kind of got back into race mentality and picked up a few more spots. And, 
yeah, kind of kind of turned it around. So it was a a fun little yeah change. Like you, it definitely showed the lesson. Like you, you never know what's going to come next, and we're all just yeah in the wrong mindset of getting down on ourselves and thinking that we made the wrong choice and like yeah. But in the end, like you can get it back if yeah. Other other teams make mistakes too at some point. So, you know, just because you made one mistake doesn't mean that you're out of the race or anything. Yeah, absolutely. So, what? Um, how much time did you think it could save? It must have looked like a lot to go for it. Yeah, like I think from looking at the route, that I, I think we figured that we would save two hours by going that direction. Um, you know, that was kind of what we had eyeballed out as uh, as the time savings. It was interesting. Uh, just this morning, I was looking, listening to some audio clips uh, the race had put out uh, when Swordfish had went uh, that direction, and uh, they were talking, and they had mentioned that when Warren went out, uh, you know, pre-race to scout it, he figured that a team could save an hour and a half by going that way. Um, so which is, you know, kind of close in line to our guesstimate of maybe two hours yes. being saved. But after being on it, I don't know how that way could be faster. Like I, if, if I were to make the choice again, I'd absolutely go up and over, you know, Afton Pass instead of around Cecil. Like I do not think you could actually, a, a normal team, you know, everything being the same could save an hour and a half. But yeah. I think Warren's probably a little bit yeah. of a better navigator than me too, so that might have something to do with it. Well, and maybe he didn't have a bike with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the <laughs> other thing. Like, yeah, if we were just walking, I mean, we eventually found a sort of a trail. Like there there was a trail that's somewhat traversed, like which would have been fine if you were walking on it, but it was overgrown with just loads of matagurry, you know, really really prickly bushes that just you know, scrape you up. Uh, but, you know, it would have been fine if you were you know, just hiking. But, yeah, like the the bike, you know, just added an entire different dimension to it. Yeah, that's so, pretty. Yeah. So you guys, did you start into it? Did you go part way and say, you know, make a decision to keep going or think about turning around? Or did you have that once you mindset that once you started, you were going to go? We we definitely went with the mindset of like if we're choosing this way we are going through it, provided that there is a physical path through it. Like we, I mean, obviously we're like okay if we get to an actual obstacle that is insurmountable, then obviously we will turn around. But if we're going into this and there is physically a way through, we're going to keep trying to go through. And that was you know kind of what what happened is. You know, we went through and it got worse and worse and worse. And we only got to one point right where I really did think we were going to turn around, like, um, you know, put the bike down and went to go scout ahead for a little bit and just got to this gorge. You know, it was, you know, four meters across. Like, you know, I, I could have tossed a rock over to it, but it was just like straight cliffs on either side to get over to it. And, you know, it was just like there's no physical way around this, but we scouted out for about 10 or 15 minutes and eventually found a way through it. And then we kind of picked up the trail that we very slowly followed for the next two or three hours. But, you know, it was at that gorge when I first really was thinking like, okay, like 
this is actually going to be physically impossible and we're not going to be able to, uh, to get past it. But yeah, I mean, I guess I learned like there's always a way there's yeah. always a way through. It might not be an efficient or quick way, <laughs> but if you really want to, you can always get through something. Yeah. Do you, is that gorgeous? Do you think that's where swordfish and AMK turned around? Well, um, from what I heard is that swordfish actually stayed down on the beach itself. Uh, and so, mm. you know, it kind of started off uh, pretty, like, w- with a nice sandy beach that was a couple meters wide. So you can, you know, like, move real nice and easy along that that travel. But eventually the, the beach peters out and it kind of ends in, you know, like, steep cliff sides, uh, you know, they go straight from the water or the, the rock into the water. And from what I heard is they followed the beach until they got to those cliffs and then realized, like, all right, there's no way, you know, we'd have to swim with our bikes to get past this. And then that's when they turned around where we, you know, had kind of identified that, you know, the beach was not going to continue. So we didn't really even think about the beach too much and went, you know, higher up about like we stayed off the water about uh, maybe like 50 meters, 50, 75 meters elevation up. Um, and then tried to like be cutting through the vegetation. So I think we kind of picked a different line than they did to try and get around. Um, yeah. So which is, yeah, yeah, a little bit better, I think. Yeah. Well, it did. You made it through. Yeah. 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 I'd like to note them. Uh, uh, yesterday, another team made it through too. Um, there was, uh, another, uh, team 10 and, uh, they had also, uh, kind of, beat feet through it and I think from looking at the tracker I think they've kind of followed our line as well with more sticking in the vegetation instead of trying to stay down on the shore so um, yeah kind of uh, kind of fun overall two teams that uh, that made it through yeah. well yeah maybe maybe they were uh, looking at the tracker and said oh if they can do it we can yeah. if the Americans can do it we can do it <laughs> it's our home country we can get it through yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah. Is it a little intimidating to be like three American teams and like what, like 6,000 Kiwi teams there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> it was, I, uh, yeah, I've been over here in, uh, in New Zealand for the past four months. Um, kind of quit my job and was just, uh, living over here, playing and working and scouting out for, uh, for God's own. And then the three teammates came over, you know, a week before the race. So I've gotten to know, you know, kind of an understand uh, the Kiwi way a little bit more. And just, I, I just am so impressed with how tough Kiwis are, you know, just yeah. it, entirely like stuff that we would complain and uh, about in the States or something. And they're just like, they just treat it as is of like, that's normal, you know, like just uh, done a lot of, uh, uh, you know, climbing out here and, you know, it's so normal to be on a ridge here, you know, full on doing multi-pitch climbing and just have the wind whipping by you. You can't even shout to your climbing partner. And then like, you know, team of Kiwis will just fly on past you and just be like, Oh yeah. Like low winds today. eh?" And you're like, Like, (laughs) winds are incredibly hard. Like, you know, and same thing with the technical terrain. I mean, we got to uh, the base of Crichton uh, or, or sorry, the, um, uh, to the top of Crichton, uh, Lake Isabel, uh, to a checkpoint, um, which is almost at the summit, uh, technical summit, a little bit of a 
you know, technical approach or a descent off the, the very top to get to a nice, easy mm-hmm. spur. And the guy, handbook had said, you know, it'll be flagged and stuff. There's only one way to get down that, you know, is where you don't need to be roped up. So they were going to flag it. I was asking the checkpoint personnel, and there was, you know, an old rugged Kiwi team that was right next to there, and they are just like, if you need it flagged, you know, just suck it up, buttercup. And it was just like, okay, like. That's the Kiwi way. You just you just deal with it. Like so, that was, you know, really interesting to be. Yeah, like a couple of American teams amongst all these just like super hardcore people who, yeah, you would never expect are this hardcore. So it was, yeah, yeah, it was really fun to be racing alongside a lot of them. And you know, earlier in the race when we were um, side by side with a lot of them, we got to you know converse and talk to a lot of them and hear all their stories. And yeah, it's just it, it's really cool how inviting they are as well of like they want you know people to come over and experience their country and see how cool it is too so yeah they're all pumped you know to see you know some teams over here from international places kind of getting it on yeah yeah they're very how can how can they be so hard and so friendly i know that's kind of the mix (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. good good tough um yeah so Let's let's walk through the race a little bit and you know kind of get your impression of of uh, yeah. yeah everything except Cecil Peak yeah yeah I <laughs> hit that one as much as you can now um, well you know that's well here's the joke when you die you know that'll be your the first line of your obituary they they went around not over <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they made it so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, um, uh, I mean, from the start, we were kind of, our, our plan was to go out, you know, just kind of stay competitive the first couple of days and then try and, you know, turn it on as uh, as quick as we could after that. So, I mean, it was uh, such a flurry of activity. Like, the first stage was four mini stages with a trek and then a mountain bike and a kayak and then another trek, which was, you know, a gorgeering, as they called it. Um, you're deep in a gorge most of the time you're hiking through the river occasionally you know you can kind of get off to the sides of the river but you know pretty steep canyon on on either side and you know each of those took a couple of hours so you know really fast transitions really quick moving um and so that was kind of you know just uh yeah like a wow you know okay we're moving this fast for a for a seven-day race so it kind of you know took us a bit by yeah, by surprise how quick it all runs. But, you know, it was, like, still really, really fun, though, um, you know, that first day, and we're all moving pretty well. It was the first kind of realization that we might, this, this that this race might be not what we expected was the first night when, you know, we, you go up and over a mountain, you know, all right, and you go down into it, and, you know, you're looking on the map, there's one way to get to the next checkpoint, so... Uh, going down this uh, valley called Deep Creek. And so you're heading down it, uh, except, you know, after nightfall, it ends up that you're having an, another gorgeering section, which wasn't really explained. And so for about four hours, you are hiking through this, like, river that keeps, you know, gorging up, and you have all these just waterfalls that you have to finagle way around somehow you know because you just can't stay in the river for those sections so you're constantly going in and out and up on the banks and you know just wet feet or you're up to your knees just hiking through water in the pitch black for hours and hours and it was kind of at that time it was just like 
wow, okay, like first gorgeering during the day, yeah, go to, you know, good fun. Second gorgeering at night, you know, in the pitch black, like, wow, this is, this is going to be quite the race. So, yeah, uh, that was uh, quite the, quite the surprise. And, you know, then it only got more just kind of technical from there. It was just, yeah, no matter what section you were on, whether it was a, you know, the, uh, trek or a mountain bike, it was just much more gnarly terrain than, than we kind of expected. So, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was interesting, you know, that first night and, uh, and the second day, uh, kind of all on that trek, uh, you were constantly kind of around, uh, other teams passing them up and they were passing you. So, um, you were, you weren't really out there alone too much, uh, you know, with your team, but yeah, kind of a, yeah. Um, had, you know, moved pretty good. No real major issues on any of those times. Um, just besides being much more aware of the ter- uh, technical terrain than we thought we would, uh, be on. Um, the, uh, the morning of day two is, is kind of one of my, uh, personal highlights. We, uh, we got on, um, inflatable canoes and kayaked the, uh, upper sections of the Shotover River from, uh, the branches station, uh, down to, uh, Skipper's Bridge. And, uh, it was, you know, class two plus, uh, rapids. And, uh, yeah, uh, I used to guide a little bit of, um, whitewater, you know, like seven years ago, but honestly, I haven't really been in a whitewater boat too much in the past seven years. So I was a little hesitant on, you know, seeing how that was all going to work out. I just haven't been able to get as much, uh, whitewater, uh, training time as I'd kind of hoped for. Um, but yeah, that was like, uh, definitely one of the highlights was hitting those sections again. It was just real good fun, uh, to hit that, hit those, uh, rapids there. And, um, after that you, uh, got to Skipper's Bridge, um, hiked up to the bridge and had a, uh, 40 meter, uh, rappel off the, uh, off the summit, which, or off the bridge, yeah. which is a pretty cool little, uh, um, thing to toss in there. And then the, uh, after that, you transition to stage, uh, four or, or no, no, I guess there's still stage three. You had a, um, a mini trek as they called it within the stage. You had to take your, you know, your paddle bag with all your wetsuit and PFD and all that and do another trek to get over to the surprise stage, uh, which, you know, all right, little mini trek, little, you know, didn't yeah. think it'd be too much, but end up being one of the more difficult sections of the course there was like three checkpoints and just looking at the map there was no way to even identify like what routes we were going to take like it was all just a okay you know like there's all this looks like cliffs from the map we're just going to have to get on ground and you know just kind of route find and see which way is the best uh to to get over there um which really tough terrain. We ended up in one gorge uh you know we could cross the gorge but the only way up on the other side was a steep, probably like 60 degree vegetated climb that, um, I had to lead up and then drop our throw bag as kind of like a hand line for the rest of the team to get up, you know, like was not even, yeah, it definitely felt very (laughs) precarious situations just on the amount of terrain. And I mean, I'm sure there was probably a better way across, but you can't spend two hours, you know, kind of like trying to find a different way across. So, yeah, yeah, just very, very technical terrain. But, you know, with getting through that gorge, we realized that we were going to um, miss the the dark zone or uh, we were going to get caught by the dark zone onto 
the whitewater rafting. Like uh, the last boat left TA4, or sorry, TA3 at 6.30 uh, at night. And, mm-hmm. you know, like we started in the morning, like uh, right when the dark zone got lifted the previous night, and we were like, oh, we got plenty of time to get to the raft, um, you know, the the raft before it leaves at 6.30. And, but then this trek just ended up taking hours and hours longer than we expected. And so now it's 5 o'clock, and we're, you know, still a couple kilometers away from this, and we've been moving, you know, maybe a kilometer an hour. And we're like, we're, we're, we're going to miss it. We're going to get caught by the dark zone. And we're trying to move, trying to move. And, you know, I'd given up hope. But uh, Dusty, our uh, our main navigator, he was like, we can make it. We can make it. And, um, you know, just once again, you got to learn not to give up hope. And, uh, yeah, we just somehow finagle away, and we move really quick. And, you know, it's now it's 6 o'clock, and we're still not at the TA. And we're like, all right, man, like 6.05, still not at the TA. And now, all right, we're down at the beach. we got to run to it get into the TA at like, I think 6.08 or something. And we got 22 minutes to, you know, go through the full transition before the boats leave. And I mean, it was just like, that was the mad dash that kind of saved the race. Cause if we hadn't made it, you know, by 6.30 pushing off, we would have got caught by the dark zone and yeah, had the entire race going to go a different way. So yeah, I think we ended up having six minutes to spare before we pushed the boats off. So yeah, it was a, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like days ago um, or weeks ago that that happened, but yeah, that was kind of one of the other critical junctures of the race. That, yeah, I was a little bit sour on thinking we weren't going to make it, but yeah, thankfully uh, some of the other teammates had a bit more of a positive outlook than I did, and yeah, made us push through to it. So was it a fun whitewater? I mean, oh yeah. Sometimes that could, it could be really fun in the middle of a race where you can just. You don't even have to think. You just have to paddle and yeah, do what the guide says. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the uh, the nice part about it to us. Since we did have a whitewater guide on that section, um, we could kind of treat that as a break and just shut our minds off for a little bit. Um, uh, you know, we didn't have to push it, and especially since we had just mad dash for the last two hours to make it in there at time. You know, we were pretty wore out. Um, our guide gets in. And he's just like, all right, you know, so, um, you know, it's up to you guys. You guys want to uh, keep paddling, um, you know, or do you want to take a break? And uh, he was like, yeah, the the team that I took down earlier today, they wanted to paddle the entire time. And I was like, who are they? And they were like, oh, that was a swordfish. And we were like, yeah, we're not going to be paddling the whole time. (laughs) That's awesome that they wanted to. We're going to lay back and take a break here for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I might, yeah. I'll have to, because this ties in so nice, I'll have to post the uh, video of Team Godzone at Primal Quest sleeping in the whitewater raft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they're going through some, like, some class, too, and they're just bouncing along, and, you know, they're just, you know, people are like, oh, they were just faking, and if you look at it, it's like, nope, oh, they're man. all fast asleep there. So. Yeah. Well, at Primal Quest, that was by day three or four, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. 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 So quite a bit more sleep so. deprived by that time. And I mean, we were, yeah. th- this was the evening of day two for us. So, it, you know, yeah. we weren't quite as sleep deprived, but even still, I mean, like on some of the slack water sections in between uh, rapids, like um, Emily and me were definitely kind of nodding off a little bit during, during those sections, but we were awake for the rapids though. They, they, they were pretty fun. So oh, that's yeah. Cool. yeah, it ended um, yeah. with a uh, class five rapid, 
Um, and or, or maybe it was a four plus. Um, but yeah, like you uh, raft through a hundred and fifty foot long tunnel that was blasted out for mm-hmm. mining uh, back in the day. So. You know, you're just kind of floating through this tunnel. As soon as you exit the tunnel, you go down kind of like all the rocky debris from when they uh, blasted it. So, yeah, really fun way to end it out. And then it's the takeout. So it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was really well, That's really weird because, yeah, that's almost just the opposite of Primal Quest where you went through that cut. Yeah. And then through the tunnel. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah it, was, it was interesting. kind of funny that, like, yeah, both of those had, like, the rapids with the tunnel. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's always one of the highlights of the trip, yeah. A time to shut your brain off and kind of just do what the guide tells you and, yeah, not have to worry too much. Yeah. So what was after the after the whitewater paddle? Yeah, so after the whitewater, uh, we took a uh, – we got to TA4. Uh, it's where we kind of took our f- first big break. Um, we had pushed through the first night without any sleep, uh, knowing about these dark zones. So we were really wanting to concentrate on making sure that we hit them. Uh, so we kind of made the tough call to forego sleep for the first night, uh, which in the end, you know, saved our butts because we would have, you know, not made it had we selected yeah. to sleep the first night. Um, so we ended up sleeping a little while longer on night two at TA4, uh, put up our tent, or we had a bike leg next, so we put our bikes together, uh, got everything ready, and then laid down for three hours in our tent. Um just pretty good sleep. Um, got up, hit the bike leg, and then this was kind of one of our big spots where we really operated well as a team. It was a um, uh, you bike from Arthur's Pass up and around uh, through the Moonlight Track to Moak Lake, and then Moak Lake back to kind of a Lake uh, Wakatipu. Um, and then did a, a really cool mountain bike orienteering section in kind of this mountain bike park. So uh, we, yeah, just really meshed as a team. Having that three hours of sleep rejuvenated us a lot. Like everyone was just digging it and having a good time and moved very effectively um, on kind of the single track and uh, roads. And uh, and then, you know, the, the stage ended with that orienteering um, it's a whole mess of mountain bike trails in a, in a really tiny park. So they kind of planned out five loops that you had to do to hit every trail in this little park. And then on the trail, they had, you know, checkpoints that you had to hit. Um, ironically enough, uh, right when Emily and Dusty, our other two teammates, flew in, um, they had an Airbnb right next to the park. And, you know, they had a bit of jet lags. So we were like, hey, you know, like, uh, Richard, you know, like we should go out for a ride, you know, like, and I was just like, oh yeah, there's this mountain bike park, uh, right down over here. Let's, uh, you know, put our bikes together and go for a quick little ride. And we rode all those trails in the area. And then when we got the orienteering map and it was just like, oh, no way. Like this is exactly where we just were. So we just nailed that section so well. I mean, like developed a real good system. Uh, Dusty, he is an incredible navigator, just like nailed every single one of them. And, um, you know, we just got a, yeah, he never even had to like stop at the intersections to like, you know, cause there's intersections every, uh, you know, couple, couple feet in there. So yeah, I'd yeah. get to an intersection, you knew instantly which way to go. So we, I think we made up eight spots on that entire bike leg, which was a real big section, uh, for us. So, um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, had a great leg in that one and, um, got in right at, uh, just after dawn to, 
TA5 uh, transition to uh, trekking and then had one of uh, kind of the alpine trek. Uh, it wasn't the longest trek, but it was probably the most technical of the treks. Uh, we had to go mm-hmm. up and over uh, Mount Crichton. Um, and uh, we, you know, thankfully, all of our... Uh, all of our navigate hard navigations we hit in the daytime. Like we somehow, I mean, kind of lucked into doing uh, the day to nights very well for uh, for navigation. Like we hit the easy navigable stuff at night. You know, like the mountain bike, it's yeah. pretty easy to just stay on the same road. You know, for a while, and so easy to do that at night. And then the really hard stuff, you know, the alpine trek up and over Crichton with a lot of route finding choices, we did during the day. And, you know, it kind of went like that quite a bit where um, hard stuff was during the day, easy stuff was at night. So that allowed us to just move very efficiently in our navigation. Um, I mean, of course, we had problems just like everyone does, but we had a lot fewer problems than we could have had. So, uh, But Crichton was, yeah, that was that was a pretty rough mountain. It's, I don't even remember how what the elevation gain on it was. I think maybe four to 5,000 feet, but... Yeah, you're just super steep scree fields and tussock and, uh, yeah, just stuff to get over. And, and there was no single well-defined path on how to get there. So it's kind of up to you on, on how to do it. And, you know, you get up to Lake Isabel where the checkpoint is and then up to the summit itself. And then it's it's a full-on, you know, like Class 3 scramble down the other side uh, to get you know, to the easy terrain to descend. And yeah, that, that took us a, a good while to get up and over that. But yeah, definitely one of the highlights of just like, yeah, this iconic peak that you can, you know, see from the lake. And yeah, so it was, it was really yeah. cool, cool um, yeah. section. So it's, um, you kind of, you guys kind of just did a, did big loops, but, but I wouldn't call it a loop course, but you really kind of didn't uh, cover a huge amount of square miles. Yeah. Because it seems like there was a lot of stuff close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was one thing that Warren had talked about in a podcast earlier was, you know, the fact that, like, you're never going to be far from Queenstown. And, yeah. you know, it, it's not like previous God Zones where it's been, like, a point to point and you just cover an enormous amount of terrain. Like, I mean, yeah, this one was definitely much more like you're always going to be close to the lake. Like, I mean, yeah, I think that was his whole plan was to, like, encircle the lake and go to, you know, kind of every point in the lake. Uh, But, yeah, like, you know, we were never – it's not like we crossed a huge amount of of it. So, yeah, and that that was the funny thing is, like, when we saw swordfish going around Cecil Peak and we were on that mountain bike orienteering segment – you know, they were 24 hours ahead of us, um, but they were, like, right next to us physically just on the other side of the lake, you know, just, yeah. you know, a couple of short kilometers away. So, yeah, it was kind of a yeah. kind of really interesting how, how they set up the course this year for it. Yeah, because to me, you know, from, you know, dot watching and just, you know, the, the sense is, is it it felt like you were way out there. But then, you know, you look at the map and you're like, yeah, you're doing all these. I wouldn't say out and backs, but kind of out and back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we never. So that's a re- fine line to tread. Yeah, yeah. We we never like repeated any of the course, but it definitely like looped around. You know, like really close. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like to some stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I guess I take that back. There was a 
maybe a 200 meter section where it repeated like itself like <laughs> on the on the very first trek you're hiking up yeah. skipper's canyon road and then you get to the top and then you canoe back down skipper's canyon or skipper's river itself and then you have yeah. to hike back up to the skipper's canyon bridge to repel off of it so between the river takeout and hiking up to the bridge uh we, we actually saw a team that was you know still on the first track and talked to them so that was the only time where it <laughs> repeated itself but yeah 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 uh. I think that's allowable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. It sounds from describing it and and your description of how technical it was didn't really, to me, come across in the photos and videos. And and obviously, you know, part of that is people like me aren't necessarily in the most backwoods places, but. Were you kind of surprised how technical it was? Absolutely. Like that was that really is what caught us off guard. Like, and it's, I mean, I did Primal Quest, you know, with you 2015, and that was over some, you know, fairly technical terrain and stuff. But you know, that's kind of been my only other expedition adventure race to kind of get a feel. And I thought this one would be similar in, you know, terms of just terrain to, to cover and that's why I was just yeah my entire team was really surprised on how bad this one or I guess how good this one was too um, yeah it, it is it, it's hard to get a gauge of that from pictures and video I mm-hmm. uh, yeah. unless you're actually like out there with it too and I mean it's the uh, you know it's also where the photographers are stationed at as well you know it's just like a lot of the times it felt very uncomfortable was like in the middle of the night when you're hiking up a ridge and you just kind of like peek over and there's fog and a steep drop off uh you know just right underneath your feet and there's no photographers around to you know capture that so it's yeah, you know. we're not going out there. Screw you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, so many things that that the you know cameras can't capture, um, yeah. but yeah, that still just make it in there. You know, like the gorgeering section on that first night where it was just like I never would have thought we would have done something like that in in Deep Creek. And yeah, yeah, if, if they would have had some, it would have been really interesting to have a couple of photographers stationed there, just getting some shots of people going through that canyon, but. Yeah, so it was, yeah. it was, I, I guess, too, you know, that's, it, it struck me how much, like, this is, this is a big boy race. Like, you, you take off the diapers for this one, and they really let you out there on your own, um, which yeah. is very, like, you know, I like. It's it's very refreshing to know that there is, are races like that where it's, they don't really make you... Uh, you know, have where they don't hold your hand on it. They make you make real life decisions. And if you don't feel comfortable going up that slope, then it's up to you to find a different way up that slope. Like, I'm sure there probably were easier ways to go around a lot of those steep obstacles, but it just would have taken a yeah. lot longer to get on there. So thankfully, you know, like we kind of just gauged our team's level of confidence and comfort level and be like, all right, do we feel comfortable going up that slope? We do? Okay, then let's go up it and not, you know, dick around and try and waste more time trying to find a, a different way. If we didn't feel safe, you know, going up there, then, yeah, we'd spend the extra time to figure out a different path. But, 
Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it's yeah. There's always a way. Let's, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the team. Have you guys raced together before? Much? Any? Unfortunately, not. No, this was our yeah. our first race together. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, it, you know, it, it's always a story of how a uh, you know a team gets together. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to be you know kind of on like a uh, a full time team that races together all the time. But uh, climbing, it, you know, rock climbing and mountain climbing is kind of my my main passion. So I've kind of only recently gotten into the adventure racing um, with Primal Quest in 2015 um and i had already eyeballed being out here for uh you know six months uh over their summer here and uh good buddy of mine uh gavin woody you know do a lot of uh ultra running and climbing with him and um you know he's a, he's a pretty high level uh runner uh one bigfoot 200 uh miler a couple um a uh, couple years ago and done a lot of other really incredible like you know multi-day stuff uh, and so, you know, we were kind of talking and, and he was just like, yeah, man, it'd be kind of fun to come over and visit you while you're in New Zealand and have some adventure. And I was just like, well, actually, you know, there's this thing called God Zone, you know, that's going on while I'm over there. Like, maybe we should try and, you know, find a couple people who'd want to do that. And, uh, yeah, so we kind of start kicking around the idea. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I then uh, I had met Emily and Dusty uh, Casera. Uh, at a uh, um, couple of mountain bike races I'd met them at, but then I really got to know them uh, pretty well. Uh, we did the, kind of this uh, thing called the Mount Baker Ultra Marathon. A uh, friend puts on where we run from uh, Bellingham Bay uh, at sea level to the top of Mount Baker, uh, a technical glaciated peak, and then we run back down. So it's like a 108-mile run um, you know, with a, with a mountain thrown in. And um, so we had done that together, and that's you know kind of one of those like I got to know them then, and it was just like wow, these are a couple of tough uh, tough people, and um, you know they're a husband wife uh, duo, but they do their primary thing is they do a lot of adventure racing in the Pacific Northwest on a, a Team Quest, uh, which is um, they're all from kind of the Bellingham area, and they put on a couple of uh, adventure races in uh, Bellingham, uh, Colchin Quest and the uh, uh, San Juan Islands uh, quest as well, uh, quest adventure races. So, yeah, they do a um, couple of good ones over there. I knew that they have a ton of adventure racing experience, which is what Gavin and me were lacking. Um, so I was kind of uh, trying to identify, you know, some people, and they really fit the bill of, you know, Dusty knows bikes like no one's business, which Gavin and me don't as much. So all of... De Gavin and me's kind of uh, weaknesses were Emily and Dusty's strengths. So, uh, you know, I asked them if they would be interested, and I really didn't think they would. But, yeah, they were like, yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, we kind of had the uh, the team lined up. But but then very shortly after that, I left for New Zealand. Um, so I wasn't able to train with them. But, um, but Gavin got out with Emily and Dusty quite a bit back in the Pacific Northwest and uh, trained up quite a bit. And then we all linked up just before the event. Yeah, how did you figure out how to be a team that quick? A uh, little bit of luck and kind of okay. just the fact of knowing personalities beforehand. Like I, I you know, had kind of approached Emily and Dusty for that particular reason that I like had just learned their personalities on, you know, the Mount Baker Ultra Marathon. 
in the sense that I knew that they were like easygoing people. They were, you know, like uh, hard people to deal with. I knew that they would you know, be able to like match up well. And, you know, Gavin is just like, you know, I haven't met anyone who doesn't get along with Gavin. So, you know, obviously after four or five, six days of racing, you know, tempers can flare and things can happen. Yeah. So that was a bit of a gamble. Uh, but, you know, we stayed in really close contact throughout the, you know, the months leading up to it of doing a lot of like phone conferences and talking about stuff. And, um, you know, I'd send back scouting mission reports and of stuff. So I think it was kind of just the, even though we couldn't train together, we communicated a lot and talked about a lot of our race strategy and stuff um, mm-hmm. in the months leading up to it. And yeah, and then kind of just the expectation stuff of uh, getting everyone on the same page of discussing, you know, like how we want to approach the race. And then when you get out on, you know, out on it, it yeah, it's kind of one of those things that we just meshed really well. And uh, yeah, yeah, it all worked out really well. Cool. We'll get. I want to get back to that in a little bit. But yeah. We better finish. We we better finish the race. Yeah. Or yeah. we'll get in trouble. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, Cecil was kind of the crux of the race, and then then all you had to do is finish. Yeah. All in quotation marks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was. Um. Uh. You know, after after Cecil, when we started off on the Erie Mountain Track. Um, which they had eyeballed out to be for the fast teams 14 hours and for the you know slow teams 28 hours, and so easily the longest trek of the of the race, and you know I it was you know like I was saying before we started off that trek in such like a demotivated uh, you know just sense of just like yeah we're just out to finish now not in race mode at all but you know something kind of clicked after sundown like we got high up on a ridge. Um, Sleep Monster was hitting, so, you know, like, there was not even a space to put down a tent, so we just, like, curled up in uh, in the Tussock Hotel and uh, threw out our sleeping bags, caught another two hours of sleep. Um, but then when we woke up and got moving again, kind of, you know, just, once again, it's wonders what a little bit of sleep will do to you. Um, had our mojo back and started moving, nailed our navigation, and then, uh, then we just didn't see anyone for a while, and we didn't know where they went. And uh, we got into TA9 suddenly in 11th place. So, like, I, I'm i still not sure where kind of, you know, everyone went because we were around about, like, you know, four or five other teams. And we left the TA before in, like, 17th place. And then all of a sudden we moved up a bu- bunch of spots. And, you know, it was kind of we just got our mojo back and decided, uh, you know, well, let's just see how we can do. And, you know, we didn't really think 10th place was an option at that point. But we were just like, well, let's yeah. just, you know. Let's just move efficiently and see what happens, and yeah, and good things happen. So, so yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. I would say so. Yeah, and then the kayak was, uh, you know, kayak is not one of my strongest suits, so I was not looking yeah. forward to the forty-seven kilometer kayak back. Um, in fact, I was dreading it more than you know <laughs> anything in the race, and to have it be the last segment too. It's just like it's always on your mind, like no matter what easy thing you got. It's just like, ah, but I still have that 47-kilometer kayak. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, w- that one was hard. That was probably my hardest physical section in which I had to, like, push it, you know, really dig deep physically. Um, 
I'm, I've just never really been that much of like a long distance paddler. So, and then, you know, like you hit the last checkpoint and you're like, oh man, it's like one more hour and we're going to be finished. And then you round a corner and you just had headwinds for like two kilometers. And those two kilometers took us about an hour and you're just like, waves splashing in the face oh man like you know and you're you're right at the finish by that point you're just like will it ever let up like we should be done is it ever going to let up and just (laughs) you know make it easy on us but yeah yeah well that's it but yeah yeah yeah. you know you know what i say if it was easy i'd do it (laughs) so yeah yeah so it makes it hard it makes it fun so yeah yeah so So it was it was really cool yeah and that was you know the thing like during that time it was We'd kind of, um, Gavin had developed a quote, uh, that God's own is generous because God's own continues to give. Like, even when you don't want anymore, God's own will continue giving it to you. So, yeah. yeah. He nicknamed it the, uh, the generous zone. The generous zone. Yeah. I like that. I think mm-hmm. Warren will like that. So, um, all right. I want to go back a little bit. Yeah. So, talked a little bit about your background as in mountaineering, but, did you have any, how did you come into mountaineering? Um, you know, kind of started it off when I was in college. Um, in I went to Iowa State University, and, you know, I was not really known oh, for well, it. Well, of course mountains. you're into mountaineering. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I took one trip uh, my junior year that kind of changed, you know, the direction of my life. Like some buddies invited me out one summer to go climb Mount Rainier, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, I, I don't know how to climb or anything, but I mean, like I'm down to come along. So, you know, they, they took me along and, um, uh, yeah, I was just, it, that, that trip changed my life of like seeing Mount Rainier and like climbing by headlamp in the middle of the dark over glaciers with, you know, huge crevasses. And I mean, I was kind of hooked after that point and, you know, slowly started to develop the skills on my own and stuff, uh, you know, and keep training and you get more gear and, um, Lo and behold, uh, after I graduated college, the Army uh, moved me out to Fort Lewis, which is in Washington State. So Mount Rainier was now right in my backyard. Um, so continued, you know, to climb uh, pretty intently on Mount Rainier and all the other mountains and stuff. And, yeah, so kind of, you know, just like uh, trained up on that. And um, you know, I got into trail running when I moved to Washington, too, you know, just because when weather's not good as, as it can often get in uh, Western Washington, um, you know, running is a great cross training sport to do on the weekends when you can't climb. So it was, uh, yeah. And then really got into the ultra running thing. And, uh, the past few years I haven't climbed as much as I wanted to just because I, I really, um, you know, last, uh, 2016, I did, uh, three 200 milers and a week long project called the rash of like climbing and circumnavigating four volcanoes in Washington and Oregon. So like running was my main passion for the past two or three years, but yeah, I kind of, now I'm going to still run, but you know, get back into climbing a little bit more again. So, yeah. 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 So do you run what, Bigfoot Tahoe in Colorado, uh, Bigfoot Tahoe. And then there was a small, um, well, uh, uh, another race in Washington called Pigtails 200, um, and mm-hmm. it's a uh, 21 laps around a a chain link fence. Um, oh, yeah, I remember. Well, yeah, I remember seeing that and like <laughs> thinking, guys, that yeah, okay, that's just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> 
That was, yeah, yeah I, because I, I was trying to do really well at Bigfoot 200, but I didn't want mm-hmm. that to be my first 200. I kind of wanted to, like, have that distance under my belt once or twice before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was just like, well, let's just do pigtails. You know, I know it's a silly course, but, like, let's do it just to kind of get that training in and, you know, feel what feel what two nights of sleep deprivation uh, feels like and all that. So, yeah, that was <laughs> – it's a silly race, so. yeah. but a lot of fun. It's, it's really fun for the community. I mean, since it's – right near Seattle, you know, the entire Seattle community comes out for it and, you know, all your friends can show up and just run a lap with you. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's much more for the community about it than the actual course. So that's, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. That sounds fun. Yeah. Fun of it. Which, which course did you like better, Bigfoot or Tahoe? Oh, Bigfoot, hands down. Bigfoot was, really? yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the volcanoes, like it's yeah. running around Mount St. Helens and then running, you know, an exploded volcano where you can look into like the depths, like the heart of a volcano and then running over to Mount Adams and then running up to Mount Rainier, like, and you're just in such big, deep country. It's, it's so remote up there in between Helens and Adams that you really feel like you're in the middle of nowhere where Tahoe is a beautiful course, you know, and, and, and it's a beautiful lake and it's really cool to kind of like encircle the lake for lake mm-hmm. uh, for the Tahoe 200, but yeah. really though, I mean, like it's yeah, like you're around civilization pretty often, uh, you know, just because since you're encircling the lake, there's yeah. communities all around the lake. Um, so I really like the remoteness and just the big monster terrain of Bigfoot more. And you know, it's probably because I, I live in Washington, so that one's more near and dear to my heart as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so since we mentioned Tahoe, how did you uh, end up doing PQ Tahoe? That one, that yeah, uh, serendipitous events uh, that led to it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. as as happens for all good things. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the power of saying yes. I really believe in the power of saying yes to bad ideas. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I met a. Um, great lady called uh, Melody Husky in the back of a bus at 4 a.m. one morning uh, while we were being bused to the start of a marathon, of a trail marathon down in California. And, you know, we happened to share a seat and, you know, get to talk in as you do, you know, at 4 a.m. and and to the uh, start of a trail race. And, you know, just uh, don't really uh, see her much after that. You know, we chat at each other on Facebook. And for the next couple of years, we, uh, you know, kind of – you know, talk on Facebook occasionally and see that she's a big adventure racer. And, you know, she saw that I mountain bike, you know, and, and, you know, kayak a little bit and stuff. But, um, and then when Primal Quest came back, she was really interested in putting a team together. Uh, so she hit me up and she was like, Hey, like, you know, we're getting a team, like any interest in doing it? I was just like, well, I've never really done an adventure race before, but I mean, like, why not? Let's let, you know, let's do it. Like, I'm already going to be down in the Tahoe area to help um, uh, race direct uh, uh, the Tahoe 200, which was in uh, two weeks after Primal Quest. Uh, I was the the volunteer coordinator for it. So, um, yeah, I was like, you know, let's let's go and do it. And, uh, yeah, so I ended up, like, not knowing uh, the other two guys on the team either, uh, Joel Gatt and and Justin Shook. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I'd only known Melody – from the back of a 
a school bus one morning. So, yeah, but, you know, same thing. We communicated a lot beforehand. We weren't able to get any training missions in. But, yeah, I had, like, a, a really fun adventure out there. And, yeah, uh, Joel ended up doing the uh, the Triple Crown of 200s the year he did Primal Quest as well. So uh, Colorado 200, Bigfoot 200, and... Tahoe 200. So I, you know, kind of, I'd met Joel a couple weeks before Primal Quest at Bigfoot 200, and uh, yeah, so got, you know, yeah, we became pretty quick friends, and so yeah, it made it really fun for Primal Quest. So yeah, kind of fun to have your first adventure race be be a week long one. So yeah, and, well, you yeah. know, that it, it's you'd be surprised how many people that I've talked to that that's been the case. Yeah, 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 exactly. So. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I guess I kind of thought that that would be my only expedition race, but, you know, then it was kind of like, well, I mean, God's Zone kind of just worked out, and like, yeah, now I'm kind of like really open to it of like, yeah, these are really, really kind of fun, and yeah, I mean, the biggest, the I guess what I always looked at to be the bar against doing more adventure races was the... Uh, you know, kind of the, the gear requirements, but, you know, now I have all the gear. And then it's also the team, like you know, just finding three other people yeah. who like to do all the same sports and who are also, you know, kind of around the same speed and the same, you know, like toughness level where if they're going around Cecil Peak and it's, you know, a four-hour bushwhack, they're not going to complain, you know, like, yeah, which, yeah, <laughs> like no one did. Like I was so incredibly, I think that's what I was so impressed about the team, like, during Cecil Peak, you know, that whole adventure, it, like, no one complained. Everyone just, everyone knew the situation, and everyone knew that there was nothing to do about the situation, so it was just like, all right, keep going. Like, just, yeah, there wasn't, you know, whining and complaining and just like, oh, my God, this sucks. Or, like, maybe we should turn around. It was just like, go. So, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, find the right team and yeah. get it, and, yeah, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. So any any races planned or are you just going to take it and see what happens this year? Uh well, yeah, kind of just take it and see what happens. A uh, uh a good friend of uh yourself, uh Lee uh, Mabel. Um he had actually a couple weeks before Godzone here had hit me up about uh the AR World Champions in a yeah, uh, coming up this summer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I was kind of, you know, like, well, let's let's just see how God Zone goes, and you know, maybe make a decision after that. But I don't know, you know, like not kind of closing any doors. I need to talk to Lee and yeah, um, yeah see what he's kind of thinking for that, maybe. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, nothing's on the docket quite yet, but you uh, never know. I do see that there's still some spots left in uh, Primal Quest. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know. Remember, nothing great has ever happened by saying no. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. So, yeah. What about you? Are you uh, are you going back to uh, to Primal Quest? Um. Well, from from your lips to Maria. Yeah. I sort of planning on it, but it. Uh, you know. Yeah. Nothing set for stone. Yeah. You know, worlds. This is a little. This year's quieter, you know. By this time last year, I'd been to Belize and in God's Own already, and nothing really for certain until Worlds this year. But yeah, I think I'll end up at Primal Quest. So. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, it's kind of my, uh, you know, that's where I in '09. That's where I started is shooting the one here in the Black Hills, and so it's kind of my 
home race, so to speak. So I hate to not be there. But yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see how it works. Yeah. All right, so I got one. I got one last question for you, and I and I just started doing this with the last my last interview. Yeah. So this this one's kind of fun. <laughs> All right. So so it's a bucket list question. Ooh. You get to do one more adventure race, only one more. And you can pick any three people to be on your team, but you can't have raced with them. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. That does make it really fun. Well, I think Warren would be would would be a pretty fun one to have on the team. You know, like after okay. meeting him at Primal Quest uh, last year, like learned he was quite the character, and you know, like yeah, yeah. I've been seeing him here. Like I think he'd be a lot of fun to like. You know, both in you know entertainment value as well as like I can learn a lot from that guy um, mm-hmm. yeah so yeah Warren would be fun to have on a team um, okay hmm other two does uh yeah yeah it needs to be a co-ed team right then yep yeah yep yeah yeah well I I have to give a uh, a shout out to uh to my girlfriend Maudie um, she is mm-hmm. quite interested in getting into adventure racing. She's never done one before, but it would be really fun to uh, to do a race with her. Um, so that's right. uh, that's our female. So um, that's a good answer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. and uh, yeah, and then probably um, yeah, the last guy you know to to learn things from. Uh, yeah, Chris Forn. Um, I actually, I mean, whether for embarrassing or not. I didn't know the name Chris Foran until I got here to <laughs> uh to New Zealand. I did a twelve hour row gain uh on Mount Pisa and uh just as a soloist, um because I wasn't able to find a, a teammate. Um and you know like uh, you know so did it as a solo and then saw like everyone's kinda like, oh man, like you know, Chris Foran's here and, and Terry the R D was just like, All right, yeah, like good thing I put out two extra controls as soon as I heard Chris came <laughs> because you know, we had 49, I put out two more for 51, and he got 50 of them. So, wow. yeah, and I was just like, oh, who's that guy? And, like, Scott Worthington, a uh, uh, buddy I met over here, was just like, oh, that's the top navigator in the world, mate. I was just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, and then I saw that he was, yeah. like, been a part of every winning God Zone team up until this year. So, so I was like, oh, wow. So, yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, so, I mean, navigation is, is what I love. Team. So, yeah, I feel like I could learn a lot from him. He seems like a human computer. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Always trying to get better okay. at navigation. So that's, yeah. that's the team. All right. Now, here's here's the best part. Mm. So you're, this episode will go up before the before Ian's, who I talked to before. Yeah. He was the first person I asked that. He picked Chris Forn. And Warren Bates <laughs> and Rebecca. And, uh, Apparently, they're uh, a good couple of guys to have on your team. <laughs> you, you you chose well. Did you pick my girlfriend too? No, he went with uh, Rebecca Roush. All right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah, that's pretty good. So, nice. Yeah, it is. That's fun. Yeah. Um. Well, thanks. So, what do you got to do? Just Kind of get packed up, and you don't have to come home yet, right? You're going to be there for a while? Yeah, yeah. Maudie and me are here until uh, April when we come back to the U.S. Um, so, okay. yeah, kind of taking a little bit of a, uh, an easy tour now. Um, my parents are flying in from uh, from Iowa on uh, this coming Wednesday. We're going to travel to South Island for two weeks, kind of out of an RV, and, um, you know, see a lot of stuff we haven't seen yet. So 
it's my parents' first time to New Zealand, so they're, you know, pretty pumped to, to get out. And, you know, and, and since we've been here for six months, you know, we kind of, Maudie and me kind of moved here to to live here, not, you know, just to travel around the island. So we've been living in Wanaka, and we've seen Wanaka quite a bit, like Wanaka and Queenstown right next to each other, yeah. done a lot of, like, a lot of climbing and stuff around here. Uh, but we haven't seen most of the South Island, you know, like all the big stuff to see. So kind of really excited to start traveling, you know, now and, you know, see a lot of the, the cool stuff besides just uh, what's been in our backyard. So, yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, I guess the only other thing is tell uh, Dusty and Emily that I'm probably want to get in touch with them and chat with them about this race and their races. And Yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah, Team Quest yeah. is, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they're they a pretty good uh, force to be reckoned with in uh, Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So they got a, a pretty good team to, uh, yeah, that they race with. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty pretty solid. That was, I mean, continued uh, just what we were so surprised about. Like uh, Gavin and me who have done, you know, quite a bit of sleep deprivation stuff with, you know, the 200s. And Gavin's done Tour de Jantes like a, uh, a 200 miler in Italy, you know, that's even longer than mm-hmm. Bigfoot. And, you know, we've done a lot of sleep deprivation stuff and Emily and Dusty haven't done quite as much. That's what they were most yeah. concerned about. And they were solid. Like they were solid as where Gavin and me were like hit and hit, being hit hard by the sleep monster. And they just like kept going trucking the entire time, like and drug Gavin and me along. So I was just so, so impressed with, uh, with them during the, during the whole race. So yeah, pretty good stuff. Yeah, I'll, 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 all, right, I'll, well, all right. Well, I got to, you know, got to close by telling you to you know, take your parents and go fast and take chances and have a good, uh, good vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely will do. All right. Yep. Thanks, Randy. All right. It's been fun. Thanks. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. We'll talk to you okay. soon. Yep. Take care. All right. Bye. Well, 
too. Took a little beggar, I took a little knees, and I put the bloody British in the town of New Orleans. Oh. Well, fired our guns and the people kept coming. Hey, there's many as the mother wallah. Fired once more, and then they get her running down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. I said, hey, 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 hey,